scripture today comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Wednesday night was an amazing night in this place. If you were here, you experienced that. We baptized several new believers, six or seven. I can't remember exactly. And uh, we sang a new song at the end of the night. And as we were singing that song, honestly, the glory of the Lord fell in this place Wednesday night. It was incredible, and God just so ministered to me as I sat here. I have very little to do with that service, just sitting here listening to young Alex preach and uh, participating uh, as a worshiper uh, without really a lot of responsibility up here, and it was so good. Yesterday morning, I'd driven to Marion, and I decided to go back and uh, have my AirPods in and listen to the, that last set of songs, those last three from Wednesday night. So I went back and I, uh, to, to Facebook and hit play. And I'm getting on the interstate when what I experienced in here on Wednesday night happened in my car. I'm, I'm overcome by the Lord. The, the tears began to flow as I am driving up the interstate. It occurs to me that people may drive by and think I've lost my ever-loving mind uh, because the tears were flowing so greatly and the Spirit was moving so wonderfully as I was singing that song yet again. God saying not only, Jerry, did you need that Wednesday night, but but you needed it Saturday morning too. Don't you love that? How God speaks as we need and when we need. Here, you may have missed it, but it's the, the text says, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Adrian wonderfully preached last week about the word of the Lord coming the first time on this day, but this is now the second time, same day. Uh, the date, incidentally, all of these dates are exactly traceable in history. December 18th, 520 BC is the exact date of this announcement from the Lord. And this is uh, the fourth of Haggai's sermons, but it's a sermon not to a group of people, but to one person. Uh, God says, say to Zerubbabel, I want to say to you this morning that this sermon could be God's word to you specifically. That, that you've come in here perhaps not expecting to hear. 
You've come in here maybe because of the way uh, you and your spouse are getting along or not, hoping that he'll really listen today. Or that she will tune in because she really needs it. Or perhaps there's a teenager sitting with you and you're just hoping that your teenager somehow plugs in today. But could it be possible that today there is a word from God for you specifically and that this is God's intention that you be here to hear what he has to say. Here's the message from God to ha- to, uh, through Haggai to Zerubbabel. Uh, remember that Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah. Uh, this is not a job that you would sign up for. This is post-exile. The city is in ruins, and they've been just a few months into the temple rebuild. That hasn't been going extremely well. This is not... Uh, anything any of us would want to do. Here's the message. I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one of them, by the sword of his brother. God reveals to Zerubbabel a grand plan, one in which he will step into the world and and interrupt kingdoms and thrones of kingdoms. Uh, I, that that, uh, personal pronoun is used five times, I am about to, I, this is emphatic, God is speaking and he will work. For Zerubbabel, who is a speck on the map of international affairs, this is big news. So what is it? If we could summarize it into one sentence, what would it be? God says, I will take you and make you because I have chosen you. I will take you and make you because I have chosen you. Uh, Whether you're 50 and in a new career or 16 wishing you were 21 or 65 or 68 and retiring, God is still in the business of taking you and making you because he has chosen you. He doesn't step back ever from the lives of those who are his. He is constantly involved in the taking and the making and the choosing. Uh, Let's examine, I will take you. I I looked all over in the Hebrew for what the word take means, and here's where I landed. It means take. (laughs) That's it. There's nothing fancy here. There's, There's no amazing, no, the word occurs hundreds of times in the Hebrew, and it means take. So if God says, I will take you, then let's add to that, not his word, but let's take from his word and add to our understanding. It's what he calls the rubble that makes the taking more special. I will take you my servant. He calls him a servant. This phrase, my servant, was most often in the Old Testament associated with one king. His name was David. 
King David was the one uh, with whom this was associated. We haven't learned this yet about Zerubbabel in all our study of Haggai, but King David is, uh, is one of his great down-the-line grandfathers. He's in the line of King David. He may not feel very royal. He's presiding over a shamble of a city and uh, not so exciting a rebuild, but he's actually in the royal line of King David. And if you've studied the Bible at all, you know that God's intent in the Old Testament is to bring the long-anticipated, awaited Messiah from the line of who? King David. So Zerubbabel, um, he's got a purpose, but he's also called a servant. And that may uh, cause you to ask the question this morning. I hope it does. Am I a servant? Uh, am I chosen by God? How do you know that God has chosen you? Here's a simple, easy way. Don't overthink this. Do you serve him? If you serve him, he's chosen you. Uh, why else would you serve him if he hadn't? Uh, that's like saying, how do I know I'm, a, uh, I'm an employee of Chick-fil-A? Well, do you say my pleasure in your sleep? That's how you know, right? You, you say it all day long. That's how you know. And the reason, the way you know, am I chosen by God is, do you get up in the morning to serve him? I'm not talking about coming to church and nodding your head and, and, and throwing a dollar in the plate and being, ex no, 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 no. It's not, none of that. Do you live for him? Is he uh, the center of your life? Is he the reason? You live and move and breathe. Uh, Paul David Tripp writes in his, uh, in his devotional, I read a few days ago, we were never hardwired to be free if by freedom we mean an independent, self-sufficient life. We were created by God to be connected to something vastly bigger than ourselves. We were designed to have our lives organized and directed by an agenda that is bigger than our personal desires or goals. I have Play-Doh in my hands, as you can see. Is there anybody besides me who thinks this smells the greatest? I love the smell of Play-Doh. Um, if... If Paul David Tripp is right, and I think he is, we're like Plato. And we were created to be in relationship with something or someone that shapes us. Every one of us. And whatever that is will do its work. Uh, for some of you, um, perhaps for years, it was work. You couldn't work enough and it pressed in and just squeezed you, felt at times, the life out of you. And your family noticed, but you wouldn't listen until it, it got bad. For others of you... Uh, Alcohol, prescription drugs do this to you. 
and they, they've torn your life apart. It, it's in pieces. Your marriage is ripped because you're shaped by it. For some of you, and, and if you have Play-Doh, you might throw it, hit me with it. It's your children. They call the shots in your life. If they're up, you're up. If they're down, you're down. If they're doing well, you're doing well. If they're not, you're not. You, you for some reason, think, because they can swing a bat. They're, they're the next latest and greatest. And you've given thousands of dollars and hours to make sure that one day they get that scholarship and do these things. It's Ecclesiastes says we were created with a space in us that only God can fill. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, it's that, that guy. And you know you shouldn't give yourself to him like that, but you can't dare think losing him. Uh, we're shaped like that. God says to Zerubbabel, I will take you and I will make you. Let's look at that. And so I went on another search. Oh, the word make's gotta be huge. Nah, it just means make. It, it just means make. It just occurs so many times in the Bible. But it's what God says he will make. It, it again is, the word is made significant by its subject, or its object. It's what God says he'll make. He says, I will make you into a signet ring. Uh, we're not quite familiar with uh, signet rings so much in our culture. Um, we, um, but, but ancient kings used a signet ring to signify, that's where the word comes, signify a, a formal contract. If they said a declaration, then they would take that signet ring, which had a signet known only to them or unique only to them, and they would take that signet and dip it in usually uh, like a hot wax or some clay and drop it down on the, the parchment to signify this is law. Um, if you've ever had anything notarized, Think that stamp. That was, that was a signet ring. It was the point of it. Uh, in those days, it was irreversible. Once that seal went on it, there was no reversing that declaration or that law. God says to Zerubbabel, I will make you like a signet ring. Here's what's surprising. 
is that there's no historical record that even celebrates when this temple is finally built. There, there's no big massive celebration like Solomon. The temple we know was smaller and we know it was fraught with difficulty because these are a poor people having been plundered by King Nebuchadnezzar and threatened by all those Ammonites and, and Perizzites and all those people who still live there. It, it was not a, an easy thing that Zerubbabel did. The only thing scholars have found was written in 200 BC uh, by a scribe. And here's what he said. The only, uh, he said, how shall we magnify Zerubbabel? He was like a signet on the right hand. And so was Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. In their days, they built the house and raised a temple holy to the Lord, prepared for everlasting glory. But God said, I'll make you like a signet ring. Kings would wear them on their right hand or on a necklace around their neck. Well, what does that mean when anybody sees the signet? The very next question is, who does that represent? That's the very next question. If, if you see it, who's that? And God says to Zerubbabel, I'm going to delegate some authority to you. I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you a purpose so that when people see you, even though it is a uh, war-torn shamble of a place called Judah, when they see you, they will go, oh, that's Zerubbabel. That's the man of God. That's the one God is called to do what? But, but is it possible that in our culture today, we've lost sight of, of the real significance of, of what we do, and we've fallen for the Super Bowl ring uh, rather than the signet ring. We've fallen for the Emmy Awards uh, rather than the silent song that gets written that, that somehow crawls up into my heart on a Saturday morning as I'm driving down the interstate. Is it possible that we now look for awards and rewards when there is a God who wants to delegate some authority to you and give you a space in which to work? Is it entirely possible that being a mom just seems so lackluster to you. But God says, no, no, that, that's, that's what I've called you to do. But we don't celebrate that, do we? In our culture. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. CNN and Fox in that day wouldn't have gone to this, this temple rebuild and on a big story, they, they'd be over in Persia. Big things happening over there, Persia. Zerubbabel died having built a less than stellar temple compared to Solomon's. Yet God made him like a signet ring. What's remarkable is that God making him like a signet ring was undoing what God had done to his grandfather uh, called both Kaniah and Jeconiah in Scripture. 
Uh, Jeconiah, Kaniah, he was only 18 years old when he became king. He was so evil, he only reigned for three months. And here's what God says about him in Jeremiah. As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life. Into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. Did you get that? Zerubbabel had a grandfather who was the last king of Judah before Nebuchadnezzar came in and overthrew it, and he was like a signet ring. But God took the signet ring off his hand and laid it aside. But then he sees Zerubbabel and he picks up the signet ring and puts it on grandson Zerubbabel's hand. Here we learn an important principle as you seek out God's plan for your life. The way to move to the future is by understanding our past. The way you move forward is by some look backward because when Zerubbabel looks back in his life, there are two images that come up. There is a grandfather who blew it. He blew it badly so that God removed from him the signet ring. But there's a great, 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 great grandfather named King David who was a man after God's own heart. Both have woven into one you learn how not to be, one you learn how to be, one you say, hmm, I don't want to repeat those mistakes. One, you say, "Mm, I'd love to be a man after God's own heart. And I'm going to tell you, no shame on any of our parents, but every single one of us can look back through our heritage and our history and go, hey, I'll take that and that won't take that. I'll leave that alone, right? We all have a past and some of you have been so marked by it, you can't move beyond it. But some of you have forgotten it so much that you don't gain any strength from it. It's ironic, isn't it? Here's the rubble. Well, thank God he's not like Jeconiah. Amen? Yeah. Because I chose you. I think Zerubbabel died not fully knowing his significance, and I don't think people around him knew it. He lived and died in historical obscurity but God remembered. You see, if you go to the book of Haggai and you go to Zechariah and you keep moving forward, eh, three books forward, you get into the newer Testament, right? Begins with the book of Matthew. And I'm about to butcher some names. Are we ready? And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, that's his grandpa, was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of who? You guys said that word out loud. That's good. Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And Abiud, Eliakim. Eliakim, Azor. Azor, Zadok. Zadok, Achim. Achim, Eliud. Eliud, Eleazar. Eleazar, Mathan. Mathan, Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. Do you know who didn't forget? God. Let everybody else forget me all day long, amen? So long as he remembers me, I think I'm good. He didn't forget. 
Zerubbabel wasn't the signet ring. He was like it. He was like the signet ring. Well, then who was the signet ring? Who, who was it? Isaiah tells us about him. Listen, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the signet ring the one uh, wasn't very attractive either. Uh, the signet ring was not somebody that we would go, wow, look at him. As a matter of fact, the signet ring in his moment of greatest accomplishment of doing the Father's work uh, was naked on a cross. He was pierced through for our transgressions. So maybe Zerubbabel, after all, is more like the signet ring than we think. Maybe it's possible that being like Jesus is less superstar and more day-to-day, -day, one foot in front of the, uh, the other with a lot, a lot of recognition life. But what about those I'm about to statements? I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth, overthrow the throne of kingdoms, destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations, and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. When did that happen? Because it didn't happen in Zerubbabel's day. Yes, there had to be a tiny partial fulfillment, and prophecy has the already but not now, Peace, almost always a tiny fulfillment of this because the rubble never could have stayed off all the enemies around and finished the temple. But, but here's more. Matthew also recording, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth. Jesus is dying. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. Yes, God would do it with the most unbelievable person. The most unlikely, it just wouldn't be a superstar. It would be uh, uh, his son come in human flesh, born in a cave, most likely, up in Nazareth, where, which was the poor side of the tracks, and it would be that one. But he would usher in a kingdom that would shake the heavens. An invisible one. But still, we haven't seen what's described there. 
We still haven't seen the shaking of thrones of kingdoms. So in this prophecy, in these tiny few verses from Haggai, given to him December 18th, 520 BC, I think it's helpful for us to uh, try to wrap our minds around that God's I'm about to had tiny fulfillment then, wider fulfillment 550 years later. Now that takes a little bit of patience, doesn't it? Because God's I'm about to has 550 years built into it. That's like driving down Highway 70 when the buses are running. It's what it seems like, isn't it? So 550 years built into it. And yet there's more. And yet it is an incomplete prophecy. You say, well, when, when will completion happen? When, when will this happen? Well, uh, thankfully, John gives us some insight, and here it is. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is the same Jesus who came as a baby, this is the same Jesus who hung on a cross and was resurrected three days later. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he, call, he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the signet ring. Amen, church? That is our Christ. And as you sit here this morning and as I sat in that funeral on uh, Friday looking at this family and wondering how in the world three young babies are going to make it without their mom. And as I stood with this young couple on the hillside on Wednesday afternoon, the only way I can stand there is to know that one day the skies are going to split open and Jesus Christ on a white horse followed by an army is going to come back for his church and we will see him as he is in that day. Christ is coming back. I believe that as much as I believe I'm standing on uh, some carpet squares, preaching to a bunch of people, sitting in about eight different colors of chairs on a concrete floor. <laughs> Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, it will not be the cry of a baby. When he comes back, it will not be a dependent child. When he comes back, he will be king of kings and lord of lords, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You'll either bow now and confess now, bow then and confess then. Uh, I, I way prefer to do it on this side of things. Wow. On that day, 
So what about you? What kingdom are you living for? Yours? Shaped by so many different things this morning. Pressing, distorting, disappointing, squeezing the very life out of you. Or his called, chosen, loved. Maybe weird, peculiar, going against the flow of culture. Yeah. Disagreeing with the themes of the day. Oh yeah. Considered strange by the world. Mocked. Yeah. Lord Jesus. I long on some days more than others for when you come back. Dave prayed already that we would not forget you crucified. Oh, I agree that we would not forget you resurrected. Oh, I so agree. And I add, may we not forget you returning. And with John we say, come, come Lord Jesus. Amen.